Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Lessons of the Woods by Ten Point Whitetails. I'm your host, Dylan Porter, and with me we have our co-host, Kyle Weber. Now, we did post on Facebook, I think this morning of the recording here, that we were going to have a special guest on today, Jared Dalton from uh, Outdoor X Media. And we got a text message not too long ago that he will be unable to attend tonight. Maybe we shouldn't say why. That might be not be public knowledge. Yeah, maybe. Sure. He has a family He's... issue that, not a bad issue, may or may not be resolved by the time this comes out. Be fun to talk to him in the future, but he will be unable to help to be with, join us tonight. Uh, so we are spitballing and came up with some stuff of our own to talk about because that's what we do, right? Yep. And he will, he said he'll reschedule. He's going to reschedule yeah. later this week, next week, this weekend, next week sometime. Depending on how things go. Um, so... I hope, you know, all positive for them. So, uh, but just not tonight, but not tonight. Soon, to be. soon. We'll see. Soon as he's able. Yep. Not that he got hurt or anything, but, you know, <laughs> life comes at you. What are you going to do? Uh, so, yeah, we're going to talk about whitetail genetics tonight. And I even prepared a slideshow in the brief 30 minutes before the show. Uh, well, that's actually before Kyle and I started talking football for the last hour and we're supposed to be recording lessons of the woods on the field, football, football field. Yeah. If you want us to do a football podcast as well, let us know. We could do a special football podcast. That'd be fun because we just discussed all the problems with both the Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings and what they need to change to be better next year because they both are not great. Hear this. We sent. What did we do? We sent Aaron Rodgers to the Raiders. We got Stephen Bennett on the Packers and Tua on the on the Vikings. Potentially Tua on the Vikings or anybody else. Not that I hate Kirk Cousins. I like Kirk Cousins, but I don't know what's going to happen this year. But we're getting off topic yet again. This is the fourth <laughs> time we've tried starting this podcast tonight because we were just so adamantly talking and enjoying football. Whitetail genetics. Whitetail genetics. So... Warning, for those of you that are on an audio-only version, if you found us on iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts or Audible or Amazon Podcasts or Spotify, do yourself a favor. Go find us on either YouTube or Facebook or the video version on Spotify because there's going to be a lot of visual aid tonight in the form of pictures of large white-tailed deer because who doesn't love large white-tailed deer? Uh, we're going to be going through you some can, history of my dad's deer farm is what we're doing and talking how fast. You can sign out now. Yeah. You can you can sign out now if you do not like big white-tailed deer. I'm just going to let you know. Yep. If you don't, don't even like bother that, listening. We'll show go, you the door. Go watch uh, Go watch some football podcasts. Or tell us how much you hate large white-tailed deer and then give us a rating on iTunes. There you go. Perfect. But a five-star rating, not a one-star. Come <laughs> on. Uh, so I am actually going to switch to presenting here and the entire screen and I want this screen. Oh, did that lock up share? Oh, there it is. Okay. Working on it. So we are going to talk whitetail genetics today and how fast they can affect your deer herd. Uh, so we're going to do a little bit of explanation on what artificial insemination is. Cause that's the fastest way we were able to change our deer herd. And this does apply to the hunting community in several ways. 
on how fast your herd can change. So if you've had a white-tailed deer herd that's been stagnant genetically, you always have the same thing, nothing ever changes. In about three generations, your entire white-tailed deer herd can begin to change. So that's what I'm gonna try to show tonight. And that means a new buck walked onto your property and bred some does, and now suddenly, instead of only one brow tine on all of your bucks, you have two, basically, okay? So artificial insemination is a process uh, where you take semen off of a buck, you freeze it in liquid nitrogen, 320-ish degrees below zero, and then it's stored in, stored in that liquid nitrogen indefinitely. It can be stored, yeah, indefinitely. As long as it's kept cold and the tank's full, forever. And then you can take that semen, thaw it out, heat it up to 90 degrees, and get the little guys all moving around in there, stick it into a dough and heat, 195 days later, if things went well, you have fawns on the ground. So we've done this since 2007 or 8. I think we've been doing this on my dad's farm. Uh, originally, we did it vaginally, which is much more complicated and much lower success rate. The first year we had vaginally, we had a 60% success rate. Second year, we had 50% success rate. Third year, we had one, per one doe for eight got pregnant. That sucked. Spent a lot of money. Because this stuff's not cheap, if you can imagine. Uh, White-tailed deer straws typically go for from anywhere from 600 on the low end to I've seen as much as 4,500 to 10,000. Dad's never spent that kind of money on it, though, because that's crazy for a chance. Year after we had one deer get bred, we had one or we had zero deer get pregnant. So then we switched to what's called liposcopic artificial insemination. We contacted a couple of vets from Wisconsin. And uh, they travel around, they do a circuit up here every year and artificially inseminate at seven or eight different farms on the way. Uh, it starts with, you give them a couple of shots, give the dozer progesterone implant. They think they're pregnant. Two weeks later, you pull out the progesterone implant. Now they think they've aborted. And 55 to 65 hours later, they come into heat without fail because they like they think we need to get bred so that's how you get them all to sync up so we'll typically breed 10 to 13 deer in about an hour hour and a half period go ahead Kyle. i was saying the reason the reason you go through that process is to time all of the you, it's almost like setting a timer for all the deer so that's why you do that them steps instead of just letting the deer the doe naturally come into heat you, you almost set the clock and then you know you know, watching, watching your watch 55 hours and mm -hmm. go yep. rather than the, the buck that does the flaming curl and does all this stuff. And you guys got videos of that on telling if a, if a doe is in heat, you're just, you're, you're making her think she's pregnant, removing that, which creates her to think she, she aborted the fawn or lost the fawn. Mm -hmm. So then you have it timed when she's going to go to heat next rather than you guys guessing. Right. Yep, exactly. Cause if we were to guess, Number one, we got to have the vets on, on location when we do this. And they don't want to be on, on location for two weeks. Right. They want to be here for two or three hours, take off, head to the next place. Uh, so they they tell us, they'll actually send us a schedule and say, hey, at this time on this day, put in the progesterone implant. Sometime on this day, well, actually at this exact time on this day, pull out the progesterone implant and give this shot. And then 55 to 60 hours later, we'll be there. And we'll do the surgery. You got, and if everything goes well, you have deer pregnant. Since switching to laparoscopic AI, 
we have about an 80% success rate, which is phenomenal. Fantastic. Uh, so these guys developed their method actually on sheep. It's well-taught method. They AI sheep all the time. They said they can do over 100 sheep a day. No problem. Uh, sheep seem significantly cheaper, normally around 10 to to $100 per shot. We can split the straws. So it's a half cc straw, and you can split that up to three ways between three does. Still have an 80% success rate. So in the photos we're showing here, this is the beginning of the process here. So you can see that this doe is upside down. We have to sedate the does to do this minor surgery on them. He makes a slit, two slits about an inch in size. And you can see he's looking through a little scope. Uh, so he can actually see right in there with a little camera. They've put a little bit of CO2 inside the, the stomach cavity just so they can see in there a little bit better. And the guy on the right here is actually got the semen in a little syringe and he gets directed directly into the fallopian tubes and insert and injects the semen through a teeny tiny little pipette. Okay, here you can see another little angle of them working on it. The does recover from this pretty quickly. Usually uh, they're all up and walking within half an hour of this procedure. Uh, like nothing ever happened. They don't have a clue. They have a little teeny tiny incisions. Oh, I went too far. And everything's good to go. Uh, it's not animal cruelty. Don't even, don't even go there, okay? Uh, animal husbandry. Really easy to do as long as you have the equipment to do it in the training and goes and, very well. Go ahead. Um, and, and we talk about, you know, animal cruelty. This is way less stressful for a doe. Yeah. Than to be thrown into a pen with 10 other does and a very large, aggressive, in-rut buck. Right. I mean, this, I mean, that, that can borderline kill a doe. Right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And they do end up going in with a buck 20 days later, just in case they did get pregnant. We do put them in with a buck. Right. And he's but what the I'm saying backup is... buck, but there is a different, there is a high stress scenario when they're all in with a buck ready to get bred, even in the wild. And they're in with a buck ready to get bred. There's a high stress scenario because the does, if they're not cooperative, the bucks can be very aggressive and angry. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you can watch these videos of these these does being chased by a buck, and their mouths are open. They're doing it. They're the the re not all of them, but there's a reason why when a doe gets bred, she lays down because she is shot. She's mm -hmm. to go run a marathon, and then have ladies go run a marathon, and then have a guy bounce on top of you. That's what that's what the bucks do. They'll run them ragged mm -hmm. to breed them, and this they get knocked out, and then they get. Uh, I don't know what the word is, but reverse is up. what they call it. Reverse. They, re they reverse it. They're back up. They got a, they got an incision, but they can't feel it. They can't hurt themselves with it. And they didn't get melee to say the least. Uh, obviously you said that you put them in a pen just in case they weren't, it wasn't successful. Potentially that's the other mm -hmm. buck. So they still go through that period, but this compared to that is way less stressful dangerous and it improves your you know success rate because you're you're doing it you're putting exactly where it needs to go mm -hmm. you're not relying on natural breeding you're not relying on all of that factors you're doing 100 percent work right here and your and your percentages are matching that so yeah typically dad only has one or two does that don't take uh in a in any given year and i think this year he ai'd 17 or 18 does uh okay. i don't remember but also with this 
if you've been listening to our podcast, we had a bonus episode a couple of weeks ago where my dad interviewed a guy about genetic markers and white-tailed deer and preventing CWD. He's able to take this year now and every buck he AI'd to has the genetic markers for preventing CWD. So we can instantly increase our herd's overall health through artificial insemination. And and that's what I was just actually going to say was with this process, you can selectively pick. And up until this point, you would pick for antlers, mm-hmm. antler size, antler growth, antler maturity, all, you know, buck size, whether they weigh 300 pounds or 200 pounds, you're, you're selecting a specific deer, specific buck to breed that specific doe based on their bloodline. Mm-hmm. Now, what I was going to say was exactly that. Whether you care about your antlers or not, now you can breed genetic markers mm-hmm. that make them CWD resistant. And that, what I mean, in the world that we live in with deer farming now, a CWD resistant buck is way more valuable than a 300 inch buck. In my opinion, you can sell his semen to other farms. You can breed him to your does and protect all of your does and protect all of your fawns, mm-hmm. which is protecting your farm and your business and your industry. So a CWD resistant buck with all the right markers, selectively breeding to a CWD resistant marked doe is a way more valuable deer than the biggest deer you could grow antler wise. Oh, in my opinion. Absolutely. Because imagine a, let's say an apocalyptic type scenario here, right? If CWD is as bad as everybody says it is, but this genetic markers is working the way it is. Can you envision a scenario where there are no deer left outside of a fence? Yep. I, and I think, and if I haven't said it, if I didn't say it in those podcasts, exactly that pretty soon because of the, because of the failed DNR in Wisconsin and the failed DNR procedures in Minnesota specifically, because that's what mm-hmm. we're aware of. At some point we're going to have no deer. We're going to have no deer. Yep. We're just not going to have it. And they're, the DNR or people are going to go and beg the deer farmers, give us some of your CWD resistant deer. We can't control this issue. We don't know what we're doing. Yep. Help us. And, and everybody says, no, they won't. 30 miles down the road in Clam Lake, there's an elk herd in Wisconsin from me. Those elk are deer farm elk or elk farm elk. Mm-hmm. They got bought from an elk farm. They got brought over here and put there. Because they can't go tag an elk coat in Montana, drag them, you know. Mm-hmm. Real, real quick rant. Yes, that is 100% going to happen if the Minnesota and Wisconsin DNR don't pull their heads out of their keisters and figure it out. Because yeah. we're going to shoot all our deer. There's going to be no deer out in the wild. And we're going to depend on deer farms. And one of two things is going to happen. We're going to buy deer from deer farms to have CWD resistant deer out in the wild. Or every hunter that still wants to hunt is going to go to a deer farm. Mm-hmm. And all you people that are against deer farming are going to realize you have to go to a deer farm to shoot a deer. It, deer Every farms are doing people. all of the work on our own dollar to save white-tailed deer from CWD. And if you have a problem with going to a deer farm or shooting deer farm deer that are out in the wild or the elk that are 30 miles away from me, that's fine. But do not go fishing on a lake. That is stocked on a regular basis. It's the same those, thing. Those fish are in a hatchery, controlled environment, raised, and then de- deposited in these legs for you to catch. Mm-hmm. Don't blow smoke up my butt with that. If you any and all the lakes get stocked, you can look at those stocking mm-hmm. reports. Well, imagine if 
30 miles away from me the other way is National Forest, 12,000 acres. Can you imagine if they stocked 30 deer from your deer farm? Oh, it'd be insane. And we're going to talk about resistant bucks. how fast it changes your herd. It's three generations and your herd has completely changed. Three generations, which in white-tailed deer years, that's six years. Well, six I mean, the, years. The average deer in Wisconsin and Minnesota lives to two to three mm-hmm. at best, at best. So in six years, you've gone through two generations. Three. It's not your third generation is alive by six years. Yes. So, so you've already you've already cleared that out. And the way we hunt around here, we wipe out the population. There's nothing available. So and there's so they're super influenced. We all shoot mm-hmm. all the bucks and we leave all the does. Those does are super susceptible to genetic changes. If you shoot the three bucks you have on your property, let's just say you your kids shoot three bucks. Those does next year get bred by a different buck from a different area. Mm-hmm. You've just completely altered the genetic makeup because it's yep. a totally different. It's a totally different stud in in the pen in the farm. It's the, it's you've totally changed it. If he was a ten point mainframe, your genetics are changed. Now I get it. The does have genetics and they have fifty percent of it. Da, 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 da. But you've totally changed it. Mm-hmm. So all right, go ahead. Sorry, I'm ranting. No, it we're. We got to rant. That's what we do. So be very on brand of us to rant. Uh, so, yeah. So that's how artificial insemination works. There's probably more that goes into it. There's definitely more that goes into it. But that's basically how it works. So it's really easy to change your herd's genetics as a deer farmer or cattle or sheep. With cattle, they don't do laparoscopic to my understanding because it's really hard to flip a cow upside down. I haven't tried it lately. I don't think I'm that type of guy anymore where I can just flip a cow. Getting old, man. <laughs> Getting old. So, moving on. This is my dad's first buck he ever purchased right here. Okay, this is a buck named Clyde. Dad drove out to a steer farm in Mountain, North Dakota, picked up this buck as a fawn, drove him home, and at, I think this is a four-year-old picture, uh, uh, four years old, Clyde was 176 inches. Biggest buck He's my dad had boy. ever seen, period. At five... At five he was 185 or 186 didn't get a lot bigger and that's kind he hovered around the 170 180 mark uh lived to be nine years old and if you happen to be near a specific cabela's i believe in nebraska i don't remember all of clyde's antlers are on display in a cabela's somewhere Hmm. so if you see nine sets of antlers off of one buck in a cabela's they're probably clyde so Beautiful deer. Start. He's the one that started it all. Okay, but him and his offspring always stuck around at 170 to 180 mark. Never got any bigger. Genetics. Okay. So time passes. We decide we need a new breed buck. So dad goes to Wisconsin. Now this is actually the last deer that dad ever purchased. Okay. He goes to Wisconsin and picks up a one day old fawn, or five days old, somewhere in that range. Really hard to keep a little fawn alive. He pays five grand for this fawn. This fawn is out of fantastic genetics, 300 plus inch bucks in his pedigree. Uh, if anybody's listening who understands those de- genetics, we're talking the original Maxbo. There's Max, Maxbo. I think Maxbo was in there twice. And I'm drawing a blank on what the other ones might have been. But like this is this is the buck. Got him from a deer farmer named Ron Pierce in Wisconsin. $5,000. You know how much dad paid for Clyde? 200, 250 bucks. 200 bucks. <laughs> $200. 
this is a far cry different. Now, this was probably 2004, 2005. Okay. But, but this buck with the pedigree that he has and the, the potential he has drives that price up. Yeah, absolutely. Clyde, you were going to get, to me, an impressive buck, but a less than impressive deer for the deer farming world. Mm -hmm. And, and he, he, he grew up nine years old that he had good antlers. He was a beautiful deer, yep. but that's the capacity that's, that's that bloodline. His genetic so, potential was 180 inches. That's what yep. he and his bloodline could produce. So yep. we can only breed to that so long and we'll never get above it. Okay. 180 inch buck isn't suddenly going to turn into 150 inch buck. So we get Remington. He's our main breed buck. This guy, we're excited. <laughs> I don't have a picture of this. I wish I did. At a year and a half old, this buck that we paid five grand for, who, by the way, was born on the exact same day as another buck named Redwood. Redwood is our old bloodline. Redwood at a year and a half is like 250 pounds. Monstrous body deer. Nice 10 point rack. I think he scored 107 inches. Remington, the buck that dad spent a lot of money on, he's like 105 pounds. Small body deer. On one side, he has four points like this. Like I'm not even kidding. It sticks out of his head like this, like a pitchfork right off the top of his head. If you're not watching the video, you should be. And then he had a normal six-point side or a three-point side on the other like he's a six-pointer. That's dad's $5,000 deer. Now, looking at these two bucks, you'd be like, there's no way in heck we're breeding with Remington. He looks ridiculous. Redwood's the guy. On paper, Remington's a far better deer. Remington is also super aggressive and hated everybody and everything in the whole world. He almost got himself killed at a year and a half old. He decided, I'm really tough. I'm going to pick a fight with a five-year-old that weighs 400 pounds. He got his butt kicked, full of holes, stood in one place and shook for three days. Dad was bringing him food and water because the deer couldn't walk. He couldn't stand up, couldn't lay down. Almost died. He pulled through. At five years old, Remington has now bred every doe on the property for five years. He is 230 inches. Biggest buck we've ever had. He was 160 at 2, 180 at 3, like 210 at 4, and then 230 at 5. Okay? Beautiful that's deer. Him here on this picture? That's him on the picture at 5 years old. This set of antlers is still in my dad's basement. Uh, then Remington decides to go get himself killed in velvet in his fifth year. Yep. Great. Super aggressive buck picked on somebody who had just shed their velvet, and he had not, and got his butt kicked. Never got over 250 pounds. Small-bodied deer. We sold nearly every fawn ever produced out of this buck. Everybody wanted to buy buy fawns out of him. His fawns on our farm never got over 190. Ever. Every fawn we sold, 250, 260. No idea why. Doesn't make sense. One year I bottle-fed 17 fawns out of this guy. Two of them died. 15 were sold crazy everybody loved his pedigree just wouldn't produce on our farm for whatever reason and we've gotten better at knowing we've learned a lot more since then okay redwood at five years old 170 inches never got any bigger than that he weighed almost four he weighed over 400 pounds he lived to be 13 years old i think 420 plus pounds is what we figure his prime was monstrous bodied deer huge bodied deer so this is one of Remington's sons. He's nice, but that's a four-year-old. 
170 Ooh. maybe 165 just cr- not that great but look at the body size look at the body size look at the neck rolls but also yeah. for people not watching i wish i could explain it to you dylan dylan said it's 160 inch whitetail but it's a mainframe 10 mm-hmm. super clean super good g2s g3s g4s looks like a couple little things on his base bases but in wisconsin that's a absolute trophy even at mm-hmm. even at four years old that's a that's a stud of a deer i'd shoot so, this deer all day long yep never be yep. sad about it but so our... when we when we're talking this deer for the people that aren't watching it's like oh that's a nice buck yeah but when we're saying small or or didn't amount to much much we're talking in the deer farm world deer farm world is completely different yeah and we're gonna get to how different it is it gets wild uh but big bodied deer remington was not a big body deer he would throw some big body pigs if bred to the correct dose this is a buck that we eyed to named soaring eagle so the that year that i said we had a single doe get bred to ai for through vaginal ai this is the sire to that doe this is the last this is the only doe that got pregnant bred in that cycle this is her sire. This is the sire to the fawn. This is a buck named Soaring Eagle. He was 300 inches at three years of age. Unheard of. The biggest buck we've had at this point. I don't even think Remington was five at this point. I think he was three or four when we did this AI. So the biggest buck we've had at this point isn't even 200 inches. Hadn't even gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. And dad got a straw semen out of a buck that's 300 inches at four. We're like, three. that's... Or three, I mean, yeah, 300 at three. We're like, this is exciting. We're super stoked. One doe gets bred. She gives us one doe fawn. So we're sad, but that doe has got power now. So we named that doe Lee, L-E. Spelled to L-E-E because that's easier to figure out. Standing for Lonely Eagle. She's the only one. So that doe grows up. This is her daddy, Monster Buck. She grows up. We breed her to this guy. This buck was 232 at two. I think this is an older photo. This is a buck named Silverstorm. Beautiful buck. Got the width, got the height, got the brow tines, got the drop tines. This buck's got it all. 232 at two. And that doe gives us one Dauphin to this pairing. Which, <laughs> for the people that don't get it, you want buck fawns. Buck fawns generate money. You can have a breeding core. A Dauphin, mm-hmm. although you can breed to her, doesn't provide... A Dauphin can only have one or two fawns a year. A <laughs> buck fawn, when he's in breeding age, can have lots of fawns a year. Mm-hmm. So we wanted a buck fawn, we thought. We didn't know. We thought we wanted a buck fawn. Silverstorm, beautiful buck. Gave us a doe. We got one Dauphin again. But now With- this Dauphin, she's Soaring Eagle, is her grandpa. Silverstorm is her daddy. And if we're doing the math here, so let's say it's a perfect 50-50 split on DNA, which it's not. Does provide 60 to 75% of the DNA, but we are not. We don't care about that right now. Okay, we're going to say it's perfect 50-50 for math reasons. So Lee is 50% Soaring Eagle. 50% Clyde's bloodline of 170, 180 inches. Her fawn 
is now 75% bucks over 200 inches counting Lee and Lee and or counting soaring Eagle and Silverstorm, and only 25% little boys, little boys in quotations, 170 inch deer, right? So now she's already 75%. Now that Dauphin grows up. What do we AI her to? She's special. She's very special. Big. We AI her to a year and a half old buck named XL747 that scored 279 inches at 18 months. Look at that goofy guy, huh? Isn't that crazy? 18 months old. That buck is 18 months old. So now her offspring, this Dauphin, when she's AI'd to this buck, she gives us one buck fawn. A big buck fawn. So in a perfect, a roll in the dice, two Dauphins is okay. Mm-hmm. I, so one Dauphin is the worst option. Yep. Two Dauphins is better. Mm-hmm. One Doe, one Buck is Pretty good. good. One Buck Fawn is gooder. Twin Bucks, more gooder yet. Two, yeah, and then two Twin Bucks is is great, and then Triplets is a freaking dream. But but just so you guys understand that one Dauphin is bad, not great. Two Dauphins isn't great. A, a Buck Fawn, we're in the right track. So we and finally guys, get our buck fawn. And you guys breed specific does because she produces two buck fawns or two does. You, I mean, that comes into your thought process yes, too, right? Yes and no. And also, you can buy sexed semen. So that means, I'm not exactly 100% sure on the process. I think it has something to do with magnets and centrifuges. I don't know for sure. But you can buy semen that's specifically male or specifically female to have bucks or dauphins because it's the male that determines it right mm-hmm. we've actually i don't think we've ever used sex semen we're happy with the roll of the dice because we just we've, we've been pretty lucky that way yep but bucks are definitely have more face value than does they can breed more deer so if you're looking for a breeder you want a buck so the reason i ask these questions or i'm pointing these extra little bits out is for Somebody that's got a million cameras on their property, you can watch your deer and see this. If you recognize a doe, the monarch doe, as we talked last two podcasts, and you see she's only producing doe fawns every, you know, I, I learn more from each fawn that comes in. Binos, I see nubs, I see some testicles, I, you know, mm-hmm. I go, well, that's a buck fawn. Okay. I really pay attention to that. So if you see this monarch doe and you somehow can recognize her, on your land and you see two years in a row that she's got two doe twins or one doe, a single, single fawn specifically, mm-hmm. and it's a doe and you notice those trends, you can facilitate your breeding and, or your genetics in this way. And that's, we're talking extreme in a deer farm, but to control the environment. And what I'm trying to say is you can implement these things. If you want to be as crazy as us on your property and you see this doe, I have a doe that's got a half a tail. She's got a unique marker, so I can mm-hmm. pay attention to who she is. And I can see next this year she had two doe fawns. Or, excuse me, she had one doe fawn and one yearling fawn or doe. So next year, if I see she's got a yearling doe and another doe, I'm probably going to get rid of her because she's not producing buck fawns. Depending on your area and your goal for your herd. If you, want your more, if you want more deer, you want those does producing doe fawns. Yes, you're right. You are right. But I'm just saying... 
We're in a controlled environment here. Controlled environment. We can do whatever we want. We can. You can also implement this information. So if you don't like your farming, you don't have any interest in this 200 and some inch yearling, that's okay. But we're trying to say you can pay attention and realize how this process work out in the wild if you just there's There's ways to apply it. And there's ways to... And even if you can't find a way to apply it in your situation, it's fascinating what mm-hmm. white-tailed deer are capable of. And everybody says, oh, you're feeding them really good, or it's hormones, or you're going in and splicing DNA, or... No, we're not doing any of that. There's no steroids right now. Most of the year right now, dad's feeding his deer. You barely would want to feed it to cows. It's not great. It's pea chips, sunflower screenings, and whole corn. It's not a great recipe, but his deer are doing well and it's cheap feed. And Clyde ate that same stuff as the deer we're about to talk about. Mm-hmm. He ate the, they're eating the same food, the same process over the last 10 years. Yep. So the genetics genetics are huge. Genetics, I would say six years ago. Your your gen, genetics six years ago compared to today are astronomically different. Look at the picture of the buck that uh, my first buck I shot, 207. Mm-hmm. And then we'll show what I assume you got this year's buck. The the big song we'll and have, dance. We'll have the video soon. Okay. We're working on no, it. No, not mine. The big one. Oh, I actually don't even have that on here. I can grab that, oh. but I don't even have that on here. We'll get there. Okay, go ahead. Go okay. ahead. So we finally get our buck fun now out of all of this AI. And this is a buck we named Double XL. Okay. Double XL, he was the foundation for starting our herd to really take off. So XL747, beautiful yearling, 279 at a year and a half. He actually only scored 276 at two. He went backwards. Uh, don't remember what happened to him after that. I think he got, he, he was in Missouri. He got, I think he might've got EHD and died. I know he did get, he got EHD or something after this year. After his first year, he went downhill because he got sick. Not that big a deal. We're happy with double XL. So year one, double XL. First set of antlers, he's 164 inches. This is the biggest yearling we had ever had at that point. We can't we couldn't believe that he was that big. I got his antlers right here. They go with me everywhere I go. Well, they not really, but if you're watching a video podcast, watch. This G2 on a yearling buck is 13 inches okay this is not a short g2 this is incredible for a yearling buck so guess what double xl got to breed a lot of does at a year and a half i think we gave him 10 we're pretty sure that was all he could manage (laughs) not a huge bodied deer i actually have a picture of this buck standing next to redwood who i mentioned earlier uh i should find it and post it again redwood was a freaking beast body wise so these two bucks are standing side by side, both looking at the camera. Phenomenal photo. I could win awards with that photo probably. Beautiful. Redwood, triple the size of body. But the antlers probably score within 10 inches of each other. Interesting stuff. So double XL turns two. Oh, now it's not going. No, no, you said. There it is. You said double XL there was 179? 164. 164. But his sire was 279 at a year and a half. So that shows you how much influence the doe had on it. Mm-hmm. Even though she had a pedigree of 300 inch deer or 200 inch deer. Look at the, I mean, 
he's substantially smaller at that point. So you look at that and go, you think his daddy's good, but where are we going to go? And then mm-hmm. this happens. So double XL turns two. That's, that's this antler behind me right here. I have all of double XL's antlers in the basement here. Uh, dad actually said I could keep them cause I bottle fed them and why not? Uh, so double XL turns two scores 242 inches at two years of age. Now, prior to this, we'd only had a 230, and that was on a five-year-old buck. This is a two-year-old. Can you grab both his rights or both his lefts real quick and step back? From his two-year-old set? His his yearling to his two-year-old. I don't have both of his yearling. His two, they're in the basement, but it's going to be like a five-minute process to go grab them. Oh, oh gotcha. But his yearling set. Okay. Got to figure out what's the best way to look at the camera here. That's Whoa. it. That's it. There we go. What's that one on behind you there? So that is one of his two-year-olds. So set that one. Yeah. Just look at the increase. Just the. Okay, I got stand up. <laughs> I hope you're watching this, yeah, everybody. People, come on, check us out on our video podcast because they're way way funner. Dylan's about to do a song and dance for us. Yep. So. But what I want you to do is I want. Yeah. To two. Look at the jump. So we say as a yearling, he wasn't as good as his father. But now you're starting to see that father um, size come out. Look at the mass. Look at his. Look at Dylan's hand on that thing. That is. And this is only two. Okay. So 242 at two. I almost dropped that on the floor. <laughs> I'd have cried. I'm putting you on the spot here tonight, man. 242 at two. Biggest two year, biggest buck we've ever had on the property, period. And the buck's only two years old. Okay. So we are beyond excited and happy. And Double XL gets to breed a lot of does again. So Double XL turns three. He was two. Crap, now I can't remember. 296 at three. Nearly 300 inches. We never had. A 250 before. He went from 242 at two to 296 at three. That's 54 inches. My math is right. Insane. Crazy. At his widest, I don't know if it was this year or not, he was 32, 34, 34 inches wide, I think, outside to outside. Insane deer. Breeds a lot of does. Double XL turns four. We are excited. What is this boy going to do? Two, we never had a 300-inch deer. Is he going to hit 300 in his one more year? He has four inches to go. He didn't hit 300. He fit. He hit 415 at four. He skipped over 300. So, so, and we talk about this. When does, when does the skeletal structure of a, of a white-tailed deer no longer need the nutrients Mm -hmm. when that happens, which is at about depending on where you're at, what's going on in XL double XL's case at three years old, he was basically fully mature. Now all of, all of his, all of his nutrition doesn't got to go to his muscles. Doesn't have to go to his skeleton. He's not growing size wise anymore, but all goes to his head. Mm -hmm. 115 plus 119 inch increase. Yep. In my experience as a deer farmer, the biggest jump is typically between ages three and four. So majority of the time, if you're watching trail cameras and you're watching your deer herd and your age classes and stuff like that, and man, he's a nice three-year-old by golly, give him a chance. 
because that biggest jump is going to put him in another on your land, on your, not on a deer farm, on your land. Mm-hmm. If he's a, even a nice 10, 120, 140 inch 10, he's three years old. And you know that give him that year, especially if you got him in daylight, because you know, he's huntable, mm-hmm. you know, you know, he's smart, but you know, you have a chance. Don't educate him. Give him that extra year. Cause he might blow up. He's not going to do 115 inches, but he could do 25. He could do 30. So he goes from 130, 140 to a 160, 170. Or 180, 190. So so that third year, I would say if you're going to shoot a two-year-old, based on where you're hunting, if you're going to shoot a two-year-old, the argument's less to a three-year-old because he might not increase a ton. They do, but it's still, I would say if you can let him grow, let him grow. Well, it's going to go to Your two-year-old jump, your two-year-old's on average. Now, I'm going to get people that get mad at me and yell at me. Your average scores in the wild in Minnesota, Wisconsin, your yearling bucks can be at four corn spike buck up to 110 inches. I shot a wild yearling, clearly a yearling buck. When I was first started bow hunting, that was 107 inches. That's a yearling buck that Kyle's holding up right now. And he scores not too far off of hundred inches. You can see my shoulders. I'm not, yep. I'm not the widest person in the world, but you know, look so. at the time length. Look at the mass. That's a yearling buck. The time length isn't there. And the mass isn't there, but he's a beautiful deer. Yearling bucks can score up to a hundred, up to a hundred inches. Two year olds in the wild, on average, should be a hundred and twenty ish inches. They should be there, right in there. 120, 100, 130 is rare, but you should see a hundred to hundred and twenty inch buck at a two year old age. So you got a set of two year old antlers there, Kyle, or are they older than that? I I think they're older, but um, well. Maybe, maybe we're just, we're both dismantling our props. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a two-year-old and that's what? 115 inches, 117 inches. Yep. So if we're, if we're, if we're for sure saying this is a year and a half, which I, I would agree, I would agree. Yeah. That one in I mean, your hand might not be a two-year-old. He's got some good width, but the time length is better than that year. That first one. And if on, you look at on the, the G3s, the pedicles are bigger. The, the, the pedicles are substantially bigger. There is pieces dog. of brain falling all over the place. Kyle's going to get CWD. It will be but, the first case where a human so gets it. I would say, I would say this is a yearling. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this again. I know this deer. I had him on a lot on trail camera. So I seen his, his face and his body and his belly and his structure. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm definitely going to say yearling here. I'm going to say this is a two year old. He's not as substantial. I mean, the, the antler looks the same, the same class. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to say this is a two-year-old, definitely. So, um, but, but go ahead. to the, That's a good the, yearling and a okay two-year-old, yeah. right? That's yeah. one way to look at it. So your two-year-old should be that 100 to 120-inch range on average. There could be bigger. They could be smaller. I'm saying on average, based on what I've seen in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Look at that dinky little G3. That's a yearling. It's that's so that's cute. a sign, right? It's that's so a... cute. A, a yearling buck is typically going to have tine length that's right up. <laughs> See, that's a little bit different right there. So when you start talking this three-year-old age category, which is what everybody wants, that's when you should start seeing your 130s, your 140s, occasionally 150s. That should be your three-year-old age category on average in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Now that can change. Other states are better, Okay. Look at it. Look at the difference in the pedicle there. Completely different. Okay. 
yearling versus a three-year-old. And why, Kyle? Why do deer get bigger antlers as they get older? For which reason? There's a million reasons, but... The, re the main reason, their skull plate's thicker, they need bigger weapons to fight and kill other bucks. And, and that pedicle every year, so your antlers fall off, mm -hmm. but your pedicle stays. So as you get older and you grow bigger antlers, your pedicle gets bigger. Same way your femur gets bigger, same way, I mean... The so actual that... skull plate, if you were to take that skull that you were holding and rip it apart, that skull plate is going to be, if it was a yearling, you'd be looking at about an eighth inch thick. If it was a two-year-old, you're probably looking almost two, three sixteenths to a quarter inch thick. On a fully mature whitetail buck, that skull plate can be five-eighths of an inch. Why does it get thick? Because that has to break second. The antler needs to break first. Okay? The antler needs to break first. Double XL's skull, when he died at six years of age, was nearly an inch thick. It's insane. That's just... It, 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 that actually looks like it's probably the same deer or very closely related that Kyle's holding up. So, well, your three-year-olds... Huh? I was say same, same area, same, same, same like, deer. Likely the same deer or very closely if related. They, if I think if this was the same deer, this would have to be like six years old. But that nah, probably um, not the same deer then. But but with the points of that is, look at the pedicle difference. I mean that mm -hmm. screams. Age. Look at the size difference on them deer. Yep. And then you look at the mass. I mean the the best mass on this little guy is is barely the point on. I hope you guys are watching this on on YouTube or. Uh, with the video, Facebook. I mean that's so. This was, I think, this guy pushed, um, 140. He actually has a ton of beating, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's just gnarly. Looks good. So that's probably and, a three-year-old deer, 140 inches. That's right in there. That's what we're saying. Yep. On average, yep. you should be seeing 130, 140, 150 inches out of your three-year-olds in the wild. Your four-year-olds in the wild, those are the bucks, the 170s, the 160s, the 200s, the 180s, 190s. Those are what we all strive for. Those are what we all want. And we all have the genetic ability to get there. But how many bucks, based on size, do people shoot at two and a half? 90% of the bucks shot in Minnesota and Wisconsin yeah. are two and a half and under. Sorry, that's the way it is. It's a two-year-old. Beautiful little that, buck, but it's a two-year-old. That's a tro that's trophy in Wisconsin. Ace, mm -hmm. Ace, you guys all might not believe my uh, my picture-taking skills, but Ace is not that big of a deer. What, what do you think Ace is? One hundred and ten. I would say one twenty based on the photos, but that's based on the photos. Yeah, my I, buck wasn't he, that big either, and he's a two-year-old, and I know he's a two-year-old. Why did we both shoot two-year-olds this year? You shot a two-year-old because it was the biggest buck on your property. I shot a two-year-old because I hadn't shot a deer with my bow in 17 years. I had to shoot something. Okay. We both had legitimate and, reasons. And last year, the buck I shot isn't any bigger. I mean, that, and that was first time owning the land, first time blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But um, they weren't much bigger. But now, like we've talked about before we recorded, was that that category has now been fulfilled. Mm -hmm. We self-filmed it. Everything happened that we wanted to with Ace. That story has been written. Now, next year, the whole we want. Next year, you're going to see this mm -hmm. or tag soup. Something bigger or nothing. 
And I'm looking at my property the same way. 130, 140, mature. I have all the stuff there for the first winter. I got deer moving in. I got residential buck stand. I'm going to have a bachelor group, I bet. And there's going to be a guy like this sticking around. If there's not, tag suit. And I can't wait for trail camera season. But I'm, May can't come soon enough. But we're going to have splitting this into two parts. We're already at 45 minutes. Are we really? Yeah, we are. Oh, so right. we weren't sure if we had enough material here for one. We're going to split this into two. Uh, so moving on with double XL, getting back on track. Shoot four-year-olds. That's the goal, right? Five, not a lot of change happens between four and five. Double XL was 415 at four. Beautiful deer. Oh, wait. No, I'm wrong. 405 at four. Excuse me. 10 inches. I was wrong. 405 at four with 50 some points. At five years of age, he scored 415 or 4, 415 or 418. I don't remember, but three inches either way. Whatever. Beautiful deer. Look at the rack on this guy. And this is a velvet photo. He is thick boy, body wise. He's not skinny. He is thick. And look at look at right over the top of his head. Look at that, that lump in between his antlers. Why is that lump there? Because his skull has gotten so thick that he doesn't want his skull to break. Look at the one that Kyle's holding up. It's just a little bump. No, this is a whole big hump. You got to walk uphill both ways on this one. It's a big one. And Why? Look at the look at the pedicles. Look at the mask coming right out of the. So there's a difference, and I want um, a buddy of mine. Keep my buddy of mine, uh, his father shot a, a nice deer, for especially in northern Wisconsin, but the mass on it was incredible. And you have to understand that mass can be a genetic factor. So the pedicle can be similar to this guy here that's an inch in diameter, I would say. But if he's got good genetics for mass... It can go from inch out and, and balloon out and have this good mass. And that's similar. Holy, it's similar to what potentially could happen. So you can have a big massy buck that's still only a two or three-year-old because the pedicle is small. He's just got mass genetics is what I'm trying to say. So if you look at double XL right here, right out of his antler, right out of his forehead is all mass. Is I mean, there that pedicle is monstrous. So just don't be confused just because he's a massy deer or he's palmated. Uh, a lot of deer can get palmated. Doesn't mean his pedicle's big, which means he's old. Um, but most of the time, you can tell by the pedicle size, which is this big, which is this, which is, I hope you're watching on YouTube, this big round here. And, and Dylan's is, <laughs> is two inches, three inches uh, diameter. Uh I think his circumference measurements were 10 plus. So what I'm All saying, out. what I'm saying is don't let the mass of the antler trick you into thinking he's an old buck. You need to see the pedicle, the actual pedicle of it. I think in double XL's case, the pedicle is uh, uh, correct with the mass. He's, he's all right. He's all right. <laughs> he's, a, he's all right. He's all right. Uh, so Excellent genetics. We fed the same thing. It's not feed. We didn't give him any steroids. It's genetics, people. Genetics are huge. Now, interesting argument to have here, okay? Is it possible for a wild whitetail to get this big? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We did not add any material to this deer. This was all genetics. So here's an argument I pose. What did white-tailed deer look like 400 years ago? We didn't add any material. But as hunters over the last 100 years, what have we done? We shoot the biggest buck we can. So when you shoot the biggest buck, you take them out of the gene pool. Now you got the lesser bucks breeding. The bucks get smaller and smaller. When were the biggest bucks shot on record? Um, Double-edged sword with that. Yep. The 40s and 50s produced bigger bucks. I think the hole in the horn buck was in the 30s. 300 plus. Uh, Jordan, but, yep. Jordan buck, which was a typical, um, was the 20s. Mm-hmm. Found in the 60s. Um but so I would say the twenties to the twenties to the fifties, the biggest bucks, especially the ones that are recorded, were shot. Mm-hmm. From the sixties on, it's been kind of lackluster. Milo Hansen buck, sure. Minnesota Monarch, net, you know, nothing big. Yeah, Minnesota Monarch is a factor. But I really believe in the next ten years we have a well, we we do we have a new, the biggest white tail ever, which is the Huff buck. Mm-hmm. Um. Um, brain fart. Milo Hansen buck was shot. The uh, Johnny King buck was shot. We're because of QDM and because mm-hmm. everybody strives for this, we're gonna hit that. There's gonna be a new world record. Milo Hansen buck will not hold. Yep. There's an argument that J- the Johnny King buck is bigger. Officially, it's the Milo Hansen buck. The Huff buck is the most beautiful. It's an embar- it, it, it puts the Milo Hansen buck in a different category. That Huff buck is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the biggest bucks were what nine 20s to the six 20s to the 50s. We had a kind of a a zone there. We where... got a period of time where everybody shot everything. We shot all the big bucks. But now in the last 10 to 15 years, we've really started to focus on as a country as a whole, for the most part, we've really started to focus on QDM and getting bucks bigger. That's what we've started to focus on. So we didn't add any genetic material, we didn't add any steroids, we fed the deer well, but guess what? Every deer in Minnesota. 99% of the state is egg. That's probably not an accurate number, but you know what I mean? It's so much egg. Our deer are fat. They're fed. They're doing well. What are they missing? Genetics and age. The genetics are within the animal. Just got to bring it forward. So one more thing with this. I can I could almost bet money that 400 years ago, this is what white-tailed deer looked like because take a look at other cervidae. Look at elk. Look at mule deer. Look at caribou. Look at moose. Their antlers are traditionally nearly half their body size. Why are we satisfied with this? This is as big as white-tailed deer get. You're telling me a 300-pound animal, a 250-pound a 200-pound animal should only be a little 10-pointer? Really, people? Come on. I'm not crazy. I'm right. <laughs> and, and I'll say this. I'll say this, the, the, the hunt for a typical whitetail, the prettiness of a typical whitetail where the deer farm deer get all the nutrition they need. They get all the, the protection from predators. It's all a controlled environment. We all can agree on that. And what do they do? They grow non-typical antlers. This is, this is crazy. White-tailed deer were designed to be non-typical. They were designed to be big. 
we should not be satisfied with a 120-inch 10-pointer and say, that's this is what white-tailed deer can do. No. Traditional white-tailed deer from 400 years ago were monsters. And, look, and looked non-typical, mm-hmm. like this. This, you know, it's our creation of, um, it's our creation of the whitetail herd we have. Yep. Um, That is exactly it. The whitetail deer herd is a result of our hunting pressure. We are running out of time. We're almost hitting an hour. So let's, we're going to take, we're going to cut here and go to our next one. And in the next podcast, whether it comes out immediately after this one or not, I don't know, because we're still trying to finagle some guests. We kind of wanted to have a backup podcast in case we didn't have guests. So this might be a teaser for a little while. Double XL, 400 plus inches of non-typical monstrous growth. He had a 238-inch typical son. Beautiful, biggest typical I've ever seen. Not really, but he's beautiful. I'll show you that one too. That was a three-year-old, by the way. Uh, save it for next one. Save him for the next one. And I'm also going to show you comparisons so everybody says i've heard this so many times and i'm just sick of it we've been chasing the same buck for 15 years on our property no you haven't bull poop bull honky no you ain't no you ain't been doing it i'm gonna show you double xl side by side with some of his offspring and they look borderline not identical there's a lot of non-typical but there's so many close similar traits that i will show you and you will be amazed on our next podcast on our next podcast so we're gonna cut it off here we got lots of i got like 20 more i got like 10 more pictures i was planning on showing this is good this is good too long part two part two if you hate deer farming that's your problem you love white-tailed deer you can appreciate this as well so lessons of the woods comes out every friday at 7 p.m Plan on having guests in the future. We're excited to have Jared Dalton from Outdoors X Media in the future. The guys from Haunted Outdoors in the future. Probably my dad some more in the future. Uh, that'd be Steve Porter, Steve Porter's Trophy Whitetail, in case you didn't know. And who knows what else we can find. We're reaching out to all sorts of fun people. So every Friday, 7 p.m., YouTube, Facebook, anywhere you find podcasts. Find us where you found us. Send us an email at 10pointwhitetails at gmail.com or message us on Facebook. And we will see you guys next time. Adios, amigos.